Uh, Daryl Yardley is a consulting coach and physiotherapist. He's assistant professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at Western University in London. Welcome, Daryl. Hey, Mo. Thanks so much for having me. So, and I just want to just a nice brief introduction to to uh, my colleague and 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 educator and mentor. So, Dr. Alex Senek is actually joining me tonight uh, for this this event as well. And I've been fortunate enough to be able to. Uh, do a lot of collaboration with Dr. Senek over the years, and, and he's a neurosurgeon in uh, in Hamilton at uh, at Hamilton General Hospital, um, and he actually also holds a position at McMaster University in the Department of Surgery. So, Dr. Senek, it's actually such a privilege to have you joining me tonight. So, thanks so much. Cheers, thanks, Daryl. All right, so we'll share the screen. So, what what the intent that we thought. Uh, the approach that Dr. Senek and I were going to take on um, on the presentation tonight to kind of give an overview is to give a sense of the journey that he and I have been on together, uh, some of the learnings we've had in, in some published work we've done, and then some work that we were actually yet to publish we wanted to share, get a sense to take people kind of through our experiences with the pandemic and, and COVID-19 as, as we've all kind of had that come upon us. Um, and then actually have a big discussion on a proposed model that that he and I would like to venture in to consider whether that is going to be a potential option and a solution for some of the healthcare system changes we're going to face uh, as we currently in the current environment and as we we kind of predict we're going to be facing into the future. Um, so without further ado, we're just going to head in, into this. Um, so Dr. Senek and I, with, a, with some colleagues through McMaster, um, had just we actually done a survey, and I don't think this is actually you know. Um, anything that any of us would be would unex was unexpected to us, let's put it that way. But what we had done is a survey out to GPs uh, within Ontario, actually looking specifically at their satisfaction around the current wait times. And, and this is, was published in 2018, so we started this work in 2017. So you can actually see even before we get, ran into a pandemic um, and the impact of social distancing, there was already a 91% dissatisfaction for current wait times from general practitioners uh, in, in Ontario. In some of the data that we actually had pulled, which was, you know, looking back at 2007, looking at one to two year wait lists, uh, wait times for a non-urgent low back pain patient in Canada. And if you think about it, you know, a decade later, we were still seeing something very similar. And now we're even venturing in, as we would argue now, probably beyond even a two year window to see someone with the expertise um, of, of Dr. Senek. Um, but what we did see, there was what was well received by physicians was physio-led triage programs for low back pain patients, and a lot of the work that did come out of it was the the, the notable opportunity to expedite uh, care pathways for patients, looking at better use of diagnostic resources, um, and really in order to get the right people or the right patients at the right time to that surgical consultation. So. One of the things that uh, we had done, and we're actually in, in the works of getting this published, but Dr. Senek and I um, did a, a small pilot. It was he and I, as well as uh, Dr. Senek did some work with a physician assistant. And we sort of did this you know, small pilot. It was about 50 patients that we each did in our, in our clinics. And what we did is we kind of categorized into three pieces. So anecdotally, what we found through the satisfaction surveys was um, you know, patients themselves were also dissatisfied with the wait times. Although they understood the barriers to the system and acknowledged that, the challenge was though is still someone was waiting up to 18 months to see someone with Dr. Senek's expertise and things that we found they had not even ever seen a physiotherapist before either. Um, the interesting thing that we found though is 
we had in our in our survey that we had done was we actually asked the patient specifically, were you satisfied with seeing myself today as the physiotherapist in an in-person consultation? And then we also did a follow-up as well to say, well, would you have been satisfied if you didn't actually see the physician as well today? And what we found is although patients were satisfied, anecdotally what the patients had told us and what was reported, there was still a higher level of satisfaction when the consultation was combined with the spine surgeon. Okay. Um, things that we see in just the referral process was incomplete diagnostic workup and conservative management. Um, you know, Dr. Senek will probably speak about this as we move into the presentation, but incomplete facts referrals into the office. You know, it's really difficult from my, you know, uh, when I look at what these guys have to do um, to triage on an incomplete referral form, an MRI report where we don't actually get to see the patient, you can see the risk that it poses to them when they're actually triaging in, in, in their practices and why that would add such a significant amount of time for them to actually manage that part of their practice. And the other thing that we did see as well was just really poor health system navigation for you know, access to conservative management options. There's much confusion even around funding is, you know, does this patient even qualify for funding because you know, OHIP's changing and all those sorts of other strategies, does this patient actually even qualify to see a physiotherapist and can they afford it? So lots of misinformation that was actually identified as well. Um, a few things more just around our thought process around what we're seeing. So up to 90% of patients that are referred to spine surgeons actually don't require surgery. Um, we see it and I, and I, we still do clinics together up until COVID, you know, many times the first question is, are you even interested in surgery? And mo there's many that will say no, and many yet still don't even know they're actually there to see a surgeon because of the, the timeline of the actual referral. Um, but the unfortunate part that we do see is, you know, we're seeing people who've been waiting many, many months, many up to 18 months, and they're actually surgical cases. So not only did they wait 18 months to be deemed surgical, then these individuals, once they're in the hands of Dr. Stenick, are now waiting an additional time period just to be in the OR. And I'm sure you can all appreciate just the challenges that are actually occurring right now when our elective surgeries have been slowly, you know, kind of dripping back into uh, opening up right now at the hospitals. Um, Dr. Stenick, is there anything you want to add to this slide just before we move on? I think, so the big thing is, so the patients do wait probably about two years to get a referral to me if it's non-urgent, non-progressive neurological deficits. And then when we do, when then we do book them for surgery, and if it, if it requires any like instrumentation, like this lumbar fusions, they're going to be waiting probably 18 months to two years to just have their surgery done. So in total, they could be waiting probably, two, you know, up, up to four years sometimes to even uh, get their surgery done. Mm -hmm. Great. Oh, I saw you peek in. Did you, anything you want to ask on that? Oh, looks like, no, okay. All right, so, so we're gonna sort of share a little bit of a state of a nation. We'll, we'll kind of call this pre-COVID. Um, so what we've seen, so there are triaging programs that exist for spine, arthritis, primarily hip and knee, uh, and rheumatology across the country. Um, what, what we're seeing is we're not saying that these aren't working. They're actually still potential um, solution to some of our challenges that we're still facing. And there is some evidence that they were positive and working, but many of them do have exclusion criteria. Um, and the concern that we have is just still that there's still going to be a limited capacity to address growing wait lists because even though they may you know, address um, a primary care referral, the surgeons still have quite significant 
individual spine waitlist as well. And we and I'm sure many of the other surgeons on the call as well could attribute a very similarity in their specific field, musculoskeletal practice as well. Um, the other challenge too that we're seeing is that even if a patient was to be seen in the surgeon, they're deemed non-surgical, they're often referred to other specialists who would additionally have long wait lists. Or because of the just the how busy your practice may be, they may not even be offered any support at all. So, you know, the question is really, you know, if we were to move a lot of this, the support and the timely access to care upstream, you know, really intervening much earlier in their primary care level and navigating the system much earlier, would we prevent the chronicity disease? Would we present, prevent the me mental health and addiction that we are seeing? Um, but the one thing that uh, Dr. Senek and I always will chat about is that there's many people that will be told to wait to see the surgeon before they can go and see and seek rehabilit rehabilitation. So whether they see physio, chiro, massage, whatever it may be, they have to wait to see the surgeon. So you can just imagine if you have really some non-specific low back pain, um, you don't really have any nerve neurological compromise, but you're waiting to see the surgeon. You can only imagine just sort of the negative sequela that could follow suit just by the lack of time that's passing. Yeah, and and, and so Daryl, in a few things, in a few in a few situations like that, sometimes the patient will have an MRI ordered by the GP, and sometimes they won't. Um, so even patients with MRIs who do show, say, like a disc herniation or even some spinal stenosis, the family doctor will feel uncomfortable sending the patient for physiotherapy or any other type of conservative measures without having myself or other spine surgeons to basically say, hey, it's okay to go to uh, physiotherapy. Great, thanks, Alex. Um, so if we kind of go on the state of the nation and now look at you know, what, what's the impact you know, that COVID-19 has brought for us, and really let's think about it from a patient perspective. You know, we have to really consider now the impact on waiting period for non-urgent spine consultation. Um, you know, what's the impact on elective surgical wait list? So just already looking at Dr. Senek saying it could take four years from a, you know, for a lumbar, lumbar fusion with instrumentation, what's going to happen to that particular patient now? What's the impact on disability claims and lost time from work? What's the impact on the health system burden? So, you know, unnecessary ED visits, more referrals and visits, sorry, more visits back to the GP. And we already know that the primary care world is over, is overburdened right now too. Um, and really, Mo, your team has actually already sort of presented on this recently, um, really just already looking, what's the impact of mental health and addictions? We've already started to see some improvement that we had in the opioid crisis starting to reverse a little bit. And, and again, with that comes the burden on of the chronicity of disease that we have to be, to be mindful of. So if you look at what COVID did, and I'll speak maybe from the physio side of things, and I'll pass it over to Dr. Senek from the surgeon, but you know, our, our profession went from in-person, and that was the only thing I would say that 95% of our profession was doing. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, we shut down our doors, you know, um, and we, we have to close off for in-person care at that time. Many clinics shut down completely, and we started to see growth across our industry uh, of offering virtual services. And what's actually really interesting, even though we may not have seen widespread change, we actually went from an industry that didn't actually utilize any sort of telerehab services to 24 hours up and really in 14 days, we actually saw many clinics up and running fairly successful. So, you know, COVID kind of kept us into that, into this siloed version. We really didn't know what was happening in the medical side of things. And this patient went from in-person to telehealth. And now we're sitting in a world where we're trying to figure out how does this, what I would consider a custom hybrid model look? 
how does it how do we do this successfully how do we do it safely and because everything happens so quickly you know we're still really learning as we go but from what we've seen in the physio world we have not been exposed to significant adverse events and we're actually seeing very high satisfaction from patients our challenge right now in the physio world is us still becoming accustomed to the new normal and a new approach or a new tool to deliver the care we see but uh, Dr. Sang, why don't I throw it to you to sort of what was the impact from your practice um, with sort of the onset of, of social distancing? Well, in, in terms of COVID itself, well, we all know that basically, you know, they were, all our elective cases were shut down. So all the elective cases have been pushed for at, at least three months now. We're slowly, gradually ramping up to starting to do some elective cases. So those poor people, of course, are waiting now an extra three months who they waited like, you know, 18 Um, so the, the effect as well is that, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing these people like virtually, right? And um, what I find is, you know, in majority spine patients, you know, someone with a lumbar disc herniation who, you know, has got a left-sided L4-5 disc and complains of, you know, pain shooting up to his big toe on the left-hand side, and it's, con it's consistent with the MRI findings, um, it's pretty straightforward to say that this guy's possibly going to be surgical. It's just that when you deal with people like, um, you know, cervical myelopathy or like, you know, cervical spinal stenosis, those ones need a bit more examination, like looking at deep tendon reflexes, look at, you know, Hoffman's, uh, Hoffman's reflexes, et cetera, right? So that's where I find like the virtuals can be a little difficult. Um, but I'd say in most of my cases, I'd say over 80% 80, 80 of the cases, I've been doing this since mid-March or end of March, um, I'm able to book people that are uh, definitely surgical, but it's that you have that gray zone, like I said, with people like uh, cervical spinal stenosis. Um, yeah, and what else I find too is that you know, there's, it's not just, it's not just um, um, the effect it's having on us as uh, physicians, but it's also the effect it's having us getting diagnostic tests, right? So whether you're getting an, an MRI scan on somebody you think, you know, needs to, uh, you think has cervical myelopathy, you know, they've been refer referred to you for lumbar spinal stenosis, and they describe, you know, symptoms of um, myelopathy, trying to get an MRI these days is uh, pro probably pretty much impossible unless it's uh, deemed urgent. And the same thing goes like with uh, x-rays. Um, if you want to get like a, you know, flexion extension x-rays in somebody you see like possibly listhesis, whether it's in the lumbar spine or in the cervical spine, uh, once again, that's, uh, that's deemed uh, non-urgent at this point in time. So that, that definitely not only uh, makes, you know, some difficulty in terms of uh, determining what you'll be doing with this patient from a surgical perspective, um, but also will uh, prolong the time uh, from the patient uh, uh, getting their surgical intervention. Mm -hmm. That's great. So I think, I think what we see, though, is interestingly, we actually responded very similarly, but we were just approaching it in a siloed off model, as opposed to you know, what were learnings that we could have experienced from both sides and, and, and shared it. But the good news is, is that we both were able to adapt similarly. The question is, is, is there any learning out of this that could actually change how we manage our cases moving forward? So one of the things that I want us to sort of think about as we move forward um, into the proposed, you know, proposed model for discussion is, you know, COVID is, COVID-19 obviously is, you know, from a pandemic perspective has changed, but when you start looking at the chaos that it create or that it sort of brought towards our system globally, you know, it does create opportunity. It does start to change the rules and it does start to reshuffle the deck. And one of the things that we really want us to think about, this is an opportunity to start to create a new path as opposed to getting stuck and sort of set back in our old ways and not being willing to create a new path forward. So as we move forward, what I'd like to do in the chat, if we can see how people are um, kind of what they're feeling like, one of the things that we're curious of, though, 
you know, as we're starting to see things reopen, how many of you in the chat, just write a yes or no, do you think we will experience a second wave of COVID-19 in the fall? And I'm sure some of you may have actually, as you've been through the, the world tour, may know even more than, than that I'm thinking of right now. Okay, so even when you start to think about what we're seeing, you know, it, it actually, we need to take our learnings now look at the opportunities in front of us and figuring out can this carve our, our new path forward in order to protect yourself with what is really being forecasted ahead of us. So he, here's sort of some, obviously some key things in the new state, right? So due to this pandemic, social distancing was implemented globally to reduce the spread. And, and we're very, you know, from Canada, we're seeing some really great progress. Um, but what was impacted, right? So, and again, this is not limited to, but just a reduction in elective and non-emergence uh, hospital uh, visitations and surgeries like Dr. Senek talked about. And really, I can speak from a rehab perspective is we're seeing significant reductions in capacity. And actually some clinics are still shut down. They actually even, even reopen, even though we've been given the green light as an essential service provider. And Dr. Senek already talked about the limited access to diagnosis or to diagnostics. So, the proposed model that we're sort of bringing to discussion, and it's by no means sort of uh, been evidence-based and, and executed yet, but this is really what we're hopeful to get some in, in some feedback on. What we're really trying to figure out is because we're looking at some successes in the virtual world, we don't actually all have to be in the same place at the same time, which is also a barrier for us to, to collaborate. But is there a virtual triage and consultation model where the patient um, is actually involved in this in this collaborative practice model, as well as you have physician and, and physiotherapist or chiropractor, depending on how you're looking at it, or physician assistant in this model. How we're looking at sort of the the approach to the algorithm, if you will, is you know patient is referred to surgeon, uh, they're triaged to a virtual appointment or consultation, right, and they're booked with the surgeon and the physio. So. You know, we're, we're not going to get into all the logistics on this because we want to keep this conversation at a higher level, uh, which, which Mo will facilitate very soon. Um, and then really trying to get to a surgical determination. And, and one of the things that I think we want to really consider is, yeah, it sounds good, but let's really dig down into some of the system components. You know, what would the cost to the patient be in our system? Is there, you know, is there still billing opportunity for the physician? Like what impact will it have on, on earnings and billings and those sorts of things? And how is this gonna be possible for thinking about the private sector? Because we're not gonna turn a light switch on tomorrow and just have, you know, ministry, for example, just start funding physiotherapy to do this, for example. They're already funding other programs that are serving a purpose as well. So how do we look at this? And we'll save this to some of the discussion at the end, but I want everyone to kind of think about these are very specific components that we must address as we're looking at a proposed model. And if we look at, once we get to that surgical determination, what we're anticipating would happen, and if we look at what the current evidence is supporting, is you know, up to 90% don't need surgery, especially if we're talking about spine. So you know, we're looking at you know, that, that physio who's doing the consultation would be managing and helping the system navigation for that particular patient for the non-surgical. And obviously the surgical cases would reside with the expertise of Dr. Senek. But Dr. Senek has already addressed, it seemed from, from my perspective, there's still that gray zone where some people just don't quite, they're not that clean to say surgical or non-surgical, but what do we do with that? But what we would use in the surgical determination model 
is trying to identify, you know, is an in-person follow-up needed? So when we start getting those outpatient clinics back in the hospital or whether they're done outside of the hospital, you know, we want to make sure that the right individuals are being seen appropriately. So, you know, Dr. Senate can go in and rule in or rule out that cervical myelopathy, as opposed to just putting in another, the next six patients that are waiting on the wait list because they've been there the longest, which really don't, you know, potentially don't even know they're seeing the surgeon, don't need to see the surgeon at this point in time. But let's try to get the right people, the right place at the right time. 